Hello, and welcome to Under the Dome, the News and Observer's political podcast. Uh, This is Will Doran, your host uh, for this week ahead here. Uh, I'm going to be telling you all about what you should be expecting in North Carolina politics this week. Um, I'll also apologize up front uh, in case I'm a little sniffly. I'm getting off of a, uh, a cold. Uh, but not even a cold could keep me away from bringing you the exciting news uh, that the end is near for redistricting. Uh, <laughs> that's probably mostly exciting for uh, you listeners out there who have been sick and tired of hearing me talk about this for the last couple of months, uh, and especially in the last couple of weeks if things have really ramped up. Um, but the finish line is in sight. So what does that mean? Well, it means that lawmakers are more or less done drawing their maps. Uh, Last Friday, uh, Representative uh, Robert Reeves, the top Democrat in the House, stopped one of his maps about halfway through. Uh, He later told me he was going to pick that up today, Monday, and finish that. Um, But he may want to finish it pretty fast because uh, starting Monday afternoon, the legislature is going to be holding public hearings uh, for anyone who wants to comment on the maps. And there are going to be hearings on both Monday and Tuesday. Uh, Those got announced late last week. And hopefully, if you're interested, you heard about it then. Uh, Lawmakers announced that. We wrote some stories about that. I believe some other people wrote some stories too. But uh, in case those stories didn't get to you, uh, one, sorry about that. And two, now you know. Um, so yes, uh, public hearings Monday and Tuesday, they're going to be in person at 3 PM and also a separate one online at 5 30 PM both days. So three and five, both days hearings, there's signups on the legislative website. If you go to the redistricting page, uh, you can find the links there to sign up. There's only going to be a limited number of spots for the speakers because everyone's going to get two minutes and, you know, If you get a couple dozen people talking for two minutes, that turns into several hours. Uh, So they do need to limit the number of spots for people. So if you are interested in speaking, go sign up, uh, see if there's still some spots left. Uh, I hope that there are and that you can get in there. But this was a a big thing that Democrats and some anti-gerrymandering activists have been pushing for, these public hearings after draft maps uh, were shown to the public. And... GOP leaders initially weren't willing to commit to that. Uh, You know, they were telling people, uh, you know, we held a ton of public hearings before we started drawing the maps to get people's input on what they wanted to see. But we're really kind of running into a time crunch here. We really need to get these done out the door. And so they weren't committing to having these public hearings uh, after the maps are getting released. But despite that, uh, they came around and decided to do it. Um, And so that should be uh, probably make a lot of uh, folks happy who had been asking for that and who had been originally skeptical uh, that GOP leaders might not uh, do that. Uh, those are here, like I said, Monday and Tuesday. Um, I'll be covering those for the News Observer. I'm sure uh, other media will be covering as well. Uh, they'll, they should be live streamed uh, if people want to watch uh, on the legislature's website. Uh, maybe uh, one of the local TV stations will be live streaming as well. I'm not sure about that. But, you know, that'll be interesting. In 2019, the last time we had a redistricting process like this, um, there was similarly public hearings after some of the maps came out. And I covered that. It was similarly in kind of an all day thing. Um, But it was a really interesting cross section of folks that came to speak. Um, You had, you know, as, as you might expect, a lot of Democrats who were unhappy about the maps 
saying, you know, oh, this is still a, you know, a Republican-leaning map. It shouldn't be. It's too gerrymandered. Uh, but you also had some Republicans who came and were unhappy, not necessarily with the maps as a whole, but, you know, they had specific things. You know, I, I remember there was a big fight over the shape of some of the districts in southeastern North Carolina, for example. And, you know, some folks in in one county thought that, you know, too much of their county was getting put into a different district. They wanted to keep some of that area because they, you know, they thought it was just kind of the character of the the area. And, you know, that's the sort of interesting thing that uh, you don't often hear uh, in just everyday political discussions. But, you know, when you do invite people from all over the state to to weigh in on these maps, you, you hear those things and, you know, say, oh, you know, like, yeah, those two counties might be right next to each other, but actually, you know, they're not super similar to each other. And, you know, the, the people who live there actually would rather be, you know, grouped with this other area or, or whatever the case might be. So we could see, you know, and, and hear some, some more comments like that. Um, obviously, I'll, I would expect some, uh, you know, folks who are going to be uh, displeased about the, the process in general. We might hear from some people who have, you know, specific tweaks to the maps. Um, you know, they might say, okay, well, you know, I don't love these Republican-drawn maps, but I realize Republicans are in charge. They're going to pass what they want to pass. Uh, so with that in mind, you know, here are my suggestions for how to make them better. Uh, we, we might hear things like that. I don't know. Uh, that's just speculation at this point, but that'll be starting uh, later Monday, going into Tuesday. Uh, like I said, again, 3 and 5.30 uh, are the start times for both of those. So tune in and see what happens. And then uh, you can also go to www.newsobserver.com. Uh, look up my story on the public hearings and the maps. In that story, there's... Uh, all the details you need if you're still interested in trying to sign up for the public hearings, find the links to the sign-up sheet. Those are all there. But um, we also have photos of all of the maps uh, that the that were available to the public, at least as of late Friday afternoon, um, which is when I'm recording this podcast. Uh, and maybe, maybe some maps will get uh, uploaded over the weekend, and if so, we'll try to get that story updated with even more maps. Uh, but right now it's got eight in it including six congressional maps, uh, actually three from Republicans, three from Democrats. So it's really interesting if you want to kind of peruse those different maps and see the different choices uh, that the different parties are making between themselves and even among themselves. You know, the, the Republican maps don't all look alike. Uh, the Democrat maps don't all look alike. There are different ways to to get to what you want. Um, and, but with that being said, even though they don't all look alike, they all have pretty much the same partisan out outcome. The Democratic-drawn maps would, all three of them, most likely lead to a 7-7 seven to seven split, uh, be pretty even, based on 2020 presidential election data. Um, and that also reflects that presidential election data. You know, Donald Trump won here. He had 49.9, uh, I believe, percent of the vote, just under 50%. Joe Biden had just under 49% of the vote. Uh, it was very evenly split. Uh, Trump ended up winning by about 1.5 percentage points, uh, but it was basically a 50 to 49 split. And so, you know, a, a 7 to 7 map would reflect that. However, Republicans have pointed out correctly that there's nothing in law, in state law, saying that you have to have proportional maps. Um, you know, it just says that the party that's in charge of the legislature gets to draw the maps. Um, they have also pointed out that the Democratic Party has a shrinking footprint in North Carolina, um, especially in eastern North Carolina, 
a lot of counties that used to vote Democrat are now voting Republican. And so while at the same time, the cities have been just exploding for Democrats and Democrats have been doing really well in the big cities and flipping seats in the suburbs, they've also at the same time been losing some support in rural areas. And so what that means is geographically, Democrats are a little bit more consolidated to certain areas and Republicans are a little bit more spread out. So Republicans say that, you know, well, yeah, we might be evenly split in statewide races, but in these regional races, like for Congress or for state Senate or for state house, uh, you know, there's simply a, a geographic advantage that the Republican party enjoys. And so they've pointed to that um, because in the past, uh, they had drawn themselves 10 to three maps in the congressional delegation back when we had 13 seats. We're now moving to 14 seats and all of the maps that they have posted online so far would give themselves basically the same advantage, uh, either 10-4 or 11-3, depending on the map. It'll be interesting to see if they go with that uh, because, you know, just not even two years ago, in 2019, remember, I just referenced that last 2019 redistricting process we had. The reason that existed was because one of those 10-3 maps had been ruled unconstitutional in state court specifically for partisan gerrymandering. The judges found that the lines had been drawn uh, specifically to disenfranchise Democratic voters uh, and basically, you know, make Democratic voters voices matter not as much and then also give outsized influence to Republican voters. So the judges made them redraw the lines that ended up with an 8-5 instead of a 10-3 split. So it is interesting to see uh, Republican lawmakers coming back with a 10-4 or 11-3 split in all of their maps that they've posted so far. That, of course, does not mean that what they eventually pass will be 10-4 or 11-3. I've actually heard from a lot of people uh, who are very smart and follow this process and say that actually, you know, this could be kind of the first strategy of, you know, assuming that they are going to get sued over whatever maps do end up passing put out some, you know, 10-4-11-3 maps first, end up passing something that's maybe 9-5 in the end, and then be able to tell the court, you know, yeah, we did consider those 10-4, those 11-3 maps, uh, you know, but we heard, you know, feedback from the public or, you know, we talked about it amongst ourselves or whatever, you know, the, the line is, and we, you know, ended up not going down that route. So it'll be interesting to see if that's the strategy. Um, and... That's really kind of unprecedented territory in North Carolina. Um, This is all happening under really historic levels of transparency. Um, This has pretty much always just been done behind closed doors in the past. You know, lawmakers have never posted maps online for the public to look at and analyze like they're doing. They've never streamed the proceedings on YouTube like they're doing. Um, Except for in 2020, they did all that stuff when they were ordered to do so by the court in that gerrymandering lawsuit after the old maps had been found unconstitutional. The court said, "Eh, you guys need to be a little more, more transparent. And this time around, the court order was done. It was not applied to 2021. uh, But GOP leaders said, actually, we didn't have a problem with that kind of transparency uh, that we used. So they voluntarily adopted um, similar, not 100% the same, but pretty similar rules this time around as they used in 2019 for transparency. So, you know, the public has had a lot more opportunity to watch this process really than, than ever before in North Carolina. Um, and it'll be interesting to see too, if that is evident in the, in the public hearings, do people, you know, come armed with knowledge saying, okay, well, you know, I watched 
Senator Heiss, you know, draw this district, but then, you know, he took out two precincts here and replaced them with four precincts over there. And, you know, I believe that he did that because of this reason, whether that's a good or a bad reason. The possibility is there that people, you know, could have been following it that closely and might have thoughts on, you know, some of the specific individual, you know, neighborhood level decisions that lawmakers made when they were drawing these things. That that could be an interesting thing if it does come up and, uh, you know, whether it's in the public comments or later in a lawsuit. And you might be wondering why I keep referencing lawsuits uh, <laughs> since we don't even have maps yet. Uh, we, we haven't even had the committees vote on maps, let alone the the full House and Senate vote on maps. Uh, so while I said earlier that the, the finish line is in sight, we are still by no means done. Um, you know, we could see lots of tweaks to the maps that are out there being made in the coming days. But at the same time, uh, we are, you know, I, I think everyone in, on both sides of this process is, is pretty much anticipating lawsuits. Um, part of that uh, is because Republicans chose not to use racial data when drawing these maps, uh, which led to a, a really interesting back and forth between some Democratic lawmakers and some Republican lawmakers. Democrats are worried about uh, black representation and say that, you know, courts have ruled that we need majority minority districts in order to ensure that black communities are represented. Republicans have countered, however, saying actually there's no proof of any sort of racially polarized voting in North Carolina. Um, and so if there's, if there's no proof that, you know, white voters will refuse to vote for black candidates, then we don't necessarily need to draw those majority minority districts. Now, in the back and forth, Democrats have shot back that, well, the only reason there's no proof is because y'all haven't looked for that. So they did earlier this month request some studies. Uh, they asked GOP leaders to do a, a statewide study into racially polarized voting and see if it exists and if so, where it exists and how big of a deal is it? You know, is it only very minor? Is it pretty prevalent? But GOP leaders shot that down. Uh, they said that they're more than willing, you know, to, to hear any evidence that people want to bring them and that they'll consider, you know, any, any evidence that people can show of this. Uh, but they are just focused on drawing the maps. They don't want to do that study themselves right now. Behind all of this, we have candidate filing lurking very soon. That is in early December. Um, and so that is driving this decision to want to finish up basically as soon as possible. You know, we are getting to the end of October here. Even if they move pretty quickly, it'll be a rush to get things done by the end of October. Uh, you know, a, sp a spooky Halloween session. I don't, I don't know if that's in the cards. Uh, <laughs> lawmakers coming dressed in their costumes. But, you know, we could see votes potentially late October, you know, in the committees, uh, the, the floor votes, the, you know, when the actual final maps get passed, maybe that'll be late October. We could see those early November, but that's very soon. So that is coming right up. And that would give potential political candidates basically a month to decide which race they want to run in. You know, oh, I'm double bunked. I, I'm a state senator and I'm double bunked. So am I going to run for re-election against one of my colleagues? Or am I going to try to, you know, jump over to the state house or maybe jump over to Congress or, you know, run for something else uh, or, you know, just hang it up. Uh, you know, these, these are big decisions that people are going to need to make, especially if, you know, their area of the state changes pretty drastically in the maps. And so lawmakers really want to give them 
that full month from early November to early December to figure it out. So that is the timeline we're working under. Uh, public hearings Monday and Tuesday for votes potentially the end of this week in committee, maybe early next week, uh, depending on how quickly lawmakers want to act. And then after the committees approve them, it'll go to the floor. And then after that happens, probably we'll see, you know, the the Senate will just let the House of Representatives pass whatever map they want to draw for their own seats and vice versa. The House will probably let the Senate pass whatever map they want to draw for their own seats. But we could potentially see some disagreement over the congressional maps. Like I said, there's multiple different congressional maps floating around out there from the Senate right now. Uh, we haven't seen any of the House's congressional maps, but, you know, they've they've been working on them. Uh, so maybe we will see those eventually. Um, but, you know, there, there could be disagreements over how to draw those congressional lines. And that is obviously a big deal with lots of implications for the whole next decade of politics. So that'll be interesting to watch, too, to see if the, the two chambers mostly agree with each other when push comes to shove or if we kind of get into an extended uh debate back and forth uh, like we do with the budget uh, where the House and the Senate couldn't initially come to a budget agreement and had to kind of have have some talks before they could come up with a final version to to send to Governor Cooper. Uh, But on that note, uh, this is where I'll leave us with the podcast. Unlike with the budget where Cooper does have some leverage, he can, you know, threaten a veto and force Republicans to come to the bargaining table like they have done this year uh, to work with him on the budget. He does not have the veto power over redistricting. Um, Ironically, that rule was passed in a constitutional amendment uh, that the legislature wrote in the 90s when Governor Cooper was in the legislature. Uh, (laughs) He's maybe wishing that they had uh, written that a little bit differently back in the day. But because of the way that we structured the veto in the 90s in North Carolina when we came up with the veto in the first place. Uh, North Carolina governors never even had the veto power until the 90s. Uh, But when we did eventually introduce it, there was a specific carve out that the legislature put in there, basically to guarantee themselves more power, saying that the governor can't veto redistricting. That belongs entirely to the legislature. So while the governor has some leverage and therefore Democrats in the legislature have some leverage over the budget, the same is not true of the maps for redistricting. So we'll, you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens on that, but uh, we won't have to wait for for very long. Uh, It is all happening very soon. So stay tuned if that's something you're interested in, which I hope that you are. It's very important. uh, It's going to make a a whole lot of difference over the next several years uh, here in North Carolina politics. So as always, thanks for listening. This has been Will Dorn for the News and Observer. Till next time. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for her weekly political newsletter at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.